Legionaries, this is General Lance, and today I have a special treat for you. Uh, I have an individual who is uh, immersed in the murky world of uh, PMCs, uh, who is a combat veteran and a very interesting guy. This individual's name is American Militant, and I'm really happy to have him on. How are you doing, brother? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've, I've been, I can't wait to actually have you on, dude. Like, I've actually been a fan of your channel for a little bit, and I'm happy that you actually reached out, and uh, it's kind of uh, all came together last minute there, so it's pretty great. Yeah, but absolutely. Anyway, so I wanted to kind of ask you a couple questions, and I think um, a lot of people, especially in a, a general cultural sphere in, like, the military, um, they think that, like, you know, contracting is like 13 hours where like you know you have ex navy seals doing like high speed shit where you know they're assassinating people and etc cetera, etc cetera, which i'm sure they they do um but you know obviously there's the other side of it too which is the security which is um the you know positioning of like paramilitary forces in locations where u.s military forces are like not exactly the best employment of uh, force um and uh obviously the un has passed a resolution since world war ii about you know mercenaries etc so now it's called pri private military contracting which is i think is better because it's like the italian uh, condottieri you know the uh, the contractors you know but uh i kind of wanted to ask you what's your background you know where do you come from and and how is it that you got into uh the military world in general Sure. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I think the way I grew up is going to be fairly typical of a, of a lot of your audience, except I grew up on the uh, left coast in a very liberal state. But uh, Good kind God. of grew up in the middle. Of, <laughs> yeah, it was it, it was not fun. Uh, kind of grew up in the middle of nowhere, though. A very rural town. Uh, mom and dad uh, homeschooled me. They homeschooled uh, all of my siblings and I after uh, they. Uh, were very unpressed, unimpressed with how uh, my sisters were doing in the school system. And uh, while I certainly can't describe my dad as, you know, based or, or far right or, or anything like that, uh, it sticks out in my mind that, uh, that you know, the, the, the first lessons about, you know, United States history slash, like, federal government was my father telling me about, like, Ruby Ridge and, like, Waco. And, and stuff like that, which which settled me on on the path of, you know, the, the right wing, which is almost universal in uh in the infantry and private military contracting. But uh, you know, aside from being homeschooled, had a fairly standard childhood. You know, grew up, went to church, had a had a large group of friends that you know always kind of did things on the weekend. Uh, and uh, rolled around to about senior year of high school. And uh, it's, it's common within some homeschooling groups to where uh, kids go and take uh, some college classes around that time. And it's not because they're super smart or anything. It's just because you know, homeschooling naturally lends itself to college, uh, I've found. And, uh, and like, like most guys that, that wind up in, in my shoes, uh, you know, those first classes went fine, and then going to you know a local community college full time, and uh, you know the college, the classes that I like, the classes I enjoyed, uh, easy to study for. Mm -hmm. Classes that I didn't, dude, I couldn't study worth a damn. <laughs> you could not, you could not get me to sit down and study math. Yeah, 
And no, uh, I, I had a similar experience too. I mean, uh, being in the military or like wanting to get a commission, you had to get a degree, right? So um, I got a solid George Bush GPA, two point five. So shout out to that. Yeah. But yeah, I hear you, brothers. And so, what made you transition from college, I assume, to uh, the military? Yeah. So, you know, as time is going on, and you know, and, and GPA is not not what I want, and you know, I, you know, driving fucking thirty minutes back and forth. You know, all my friends are off at all these crazy colleges. Uh, the, the military is, you know, trickling in the back of my mind because, you know, my, my family has a history of service. You know, father was in the guard for for 20 years, infantry. Uh, one of my mother's brothers was a Marine. Uh, he was, what was he? I think it was a, he was, it was small boat back when the Marine Corps still had like, like the small boat units. He was a small boat. Uh, one of my grandfathers jumped in the Normandy but uh, he didn't keep any of his shit, and uh, and he was he was older when he did it. He wasn't nineteen, so you know Alzheimer's kind of took him out uh, before before the grandkids could get a lot of detail. So it was the it's always there in the back of my mind, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and 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 you know living at home, cause it's a small community college doesn't even have a whole lot of dorms at least it didn't back then, and. Uh, you know, not not really a whole lot going on, and I figured, you know, you know what, I'll I'll, I'll try the army. You know, right. uh, worst worst case scenario, you know, I'll run around the woods, you know, for three years, save some money, get the GI Bill, and then see what happens afterwards. So they don't uh, do the standard four four year contracts anymore. No, army army fluctuates its its contracts quite a bit. Some are four year, five year, depending on uh, what. MOS or, or job you get the, the standard is three with five years in the IRR but they changed it so much when I was getting out we had dudes coming in on two year active duty contracts really which, huh. yeah which, which which blew our mind but so wound up talking with a recruiter and uh and uh Everything goes pretty well. I, I score pretty well in the ASVAB. I think I got like a ninety-two. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and it comes time to pick the jobs. And uh, um, I was like, oh, well, I'll just pick infantry. My recruiter was a little bit of a rockhead. He's like, oh, well, you know, we don't have infantry available. You know, I have to refresh this page, and you know, and then all the jobs that we have show up on this list. It's like, oh, you could be like. You could be like an armor mechanic. Oh, never mind. I, I do that shit. You not the exact quotes. Like, oh, you could be an armor mechanic. Oh, dude, never mind. Someone grabbed that job. <laughs> what? There you go. I'm like, what the hell? And so, uh, so another another job comes up. He's like, oh, well, this is a you know laser designation repair technician with an airborne kicker. You could get. Oh, nope, that job's gone too. And, uh, and so, so he starts looking at these jobs that are kind of hanging out a little bit. Keep in mind, all this is over five minutes, right? We're sitting at a fucking desk in his office. Right. And, uh, and a chaplain's assistant comes up, and it kind of stays there for a little bit. And he's, oh, watch the promotional video on chaplain's assistant. And and they market that thing like you're the bodyguard for the chaplain. Like, like that's what you do. You're bodyguarding the chaplain, and, you know growing up and going to church, you know, that wasn't a totally offensive idea to me. I was like, yeah, well, you know, I guess, uh, I guess I'll do that. I was like, all right, sweet. And he puts everything in and, uh, he's like, all right, man, you know, yeah, next time I kind of get in contact with you, you know, it'll be, it'll be to let you know when, you know, you know, when I think you're going to be out and head you off to basic training. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, okay. And, uh, I'm driving back and, you know, thinking of my dad, thinking of my uncle, my grandfather, I was like, I don't want to be a fucking chaplain's assistant. You know, there's only you know, there, there's, there's only one reason to join the military. It's to be the infantry. Right. Everyone out there, they're they're fighting for for best supporting actor, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. So, so I, I I get home and I call the recruiter up. I'm like, hey man, listen, I appreciate all the help you did. Uh, let me know when you have an infantry contract, and I'll be all over that. 
He's like, oh man, this is this, you know, this is gonna mess you know, this is gonna mess your ship out data up, yada yada. I'm like, yeah, listen, dude, I, I get it, you know, but you know, the I got a family history of, of guys being in the infantry. I can't be the one to break it. Yeah. It's like two or three days later, that dude's sergeant major. I don't know why the fucking sergeant major called. Right? Oh, watch this! I hear about you know, you know, the, you know, the chaplain's assistant not being a good job in the army. <laughs> I remember. You know, well, he's he's sergeant major. Cause I have no idea why the fuck this dude's calling me. Well, any job's a good job in the army. The infantry's just you know what I want to measure myself by. I'll see what I can do. And he fucking hangs up. And like an hour later. He calls me. He's like, "All right, we have you a contract, but we had to take it from someone, which is bullshit." Yeah. And he's like, "And so it was a it was a three year contract, uh, standard. Went to basic training, uh, like a couple weeks later. You know, back when basic training still wasn't totally uh, a soft footed fucking mess. You know." Women in the infantry weren't even a fucking worry, you know, getting screamed at, getting squared at, you know, getting the shit smoked out of you. Got out, joined my unit, great unit, um, somehow that unit, my battalion, missed the two deployments that my brigade went on. And in between those deployments, my battalion got a deployment to Afghanistan. And everyone's fucking excited. You know, finally, we got our fucking chance to go. And I remember our company commander calling all of us into the fucking day room. You know, he's like, all right, guys, I got good news. I got bad news. You know, the good news is the, uh, the battalion is deploying. I can confirm that. The bad news is uh, a company has to stay behind, which was no. awesome. No. Oh, we were furious. The, the the young guys, the young guys were furious. Like like the squad leaders and the platoon sergeants and up kind of knew what the deployment was supposed to be, which was it was a uh, guardian angel missions out of uh, Bagram, which is yeah. just shit. It, the, no one's really doing that shit. So so the older guys were happy that they got to you know not cool their heels for nine months in Bagram and stay with their families. And the younger guys were all fucking up in arms until, like, their buddies in other companies were like, dude, this shit fucking sucks. We got a lot of PT test every month, you know. We got to wear all this stupid shit. And, you know, we were enjoying four days and block leave and shit like that. So it was pretty skate. That's what it sounds like. Oh, yeah. One, one 100%. You know, we, we had a... You know, like, like I said, I had an awesome experience in the Army. I had awesome first sergeants, awesome company commanders. My lieutenants across the board were fucking outstanding. I had an amazing platoon sergeant. Uh, I had a uh, uh, a battalion sergeant major that was hilarious. My battalion commander was prior Delta Force. Wow. Which which is a fucking trip. If you look up photos of a uh, Black Hawk Down yeah. and shit. You can see him in some of the photos where there's Delta Force. Dude, that's insane. So, so all of that translated into a very laid-back battalion commander. Like, our gear policy, right? And, and the guys who have served will, will, will understand this. Our gear policy was, wear whatever you want, no stupid colors. And if I catch you and it looks weird, you have to prove to me that it works. And that was it. <laughs> That was all there was, which was which was huge, dude. And, that... uh, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, had a great time, uh, but wanted to do something else, right? You know, not really a whole lot of deployments on the horizon. No one's really fighting anymore. Uh, you know, at at best, you know, you you there's a slightly above average risk about getting a leg blown off on an IED, but you know, no, nothing really insane. And you know, and stuck in the barracks, which you know, the, the barracks is great, and at the same time, it's fucking atrocious. Right. So, so <laughs> did my did my three got out, kind of wondering what to do next. Uh, I had a friend in my platoon who uh, guy was a little bit of a guru. 
right? Not a bad dude, but, you know, kind of portly, kind of short, you know, always talk about like, yeah, I'm going to go to selection. Yeah, I'm going to go to RASP, which is, you know, special forces selection and uh, the ranger assessment and selection program where they select guys to go to ranger battalion. And he never did it, right? And so, so he gets out and he's like, yeah, I'm going to be like contracting. And everyone's like, dude, no the fuck you're not. You're going to go home. You're going to live in your mother's basement. You're going to go to school just like everyone else that does when they fucking get out of this fucking shithole. Right. Yeah, yeah. And, dude, I shit you not, fucking four months later, we all get thrown in this group chat with this dude, you know, a little stupid operator mustache. He's like, I'm on the way to Dubai. I'm contracting. Fuck you guys. (laughs) And then he never responded (laughs) to any of our questions or anything like that, which was fucking hilarious but so fast forward a couple months I get out and I hit him up I'm like dude like what does it take to to, to start contracting because you know f- for your listeners contracting is this it's this mythical thing in the military where you make like a thousand dollars a day but you need to know like three people you need to be a green bray or a ranger and and you're it's it's you know it's just living the life of sex and danger you know just doing cool shit all the time and uh and my buddy you know calls me up he's like listen you know it's it's a lot easier than i than i thought you literally just go you literally just apply on their websites and i was like what fucking websites and he sends me a link to a to a about a, a medium sized medium to large sized contracting company and uh, you know, I, I trust the process, and I go and look for jobs, and jobs in Afghanistan, and you know, armed guard level two. We're looking for people, you know, and I, and I look, and and there's no requirements aside from uh, a, a, a survey, a stint in the military under under combat arms with an honorable discharge, and a few other small things that I'm fortunate enough to have. And uh, I applied, and over the next couple months, I was in contact with the company. They they flew me out to their location, and uh, did a, a a train up that was about a week, with which was easy. Didn't even have a, a PT test. Had a rifle qual, pistol qual, which was no problem. And then about a week later, I, they flew me down to a they flew us down to Fort Hood where we uh, went to the armies in processing. And uh, two weeks later, I was uh, in Afghanistan at Fort Bagram, just chilling, fucking being a security guard. Holy shit. And so, like, for those of us that don't know, and obviously, like, I don't know if you heard this, but apparently today it was announced that today is the last day of GWAT. Did you know that? I did not. Fucking yeah. it's finally over, huh? Yeah, for real. So apparently, uh, the boys uh, enlisting after today, they're not going to get their ketchup stains. So it's whatever. (laughs) But uh, just, you know, there's a lot of, I don't know if you've watched like, you know, movies like War Dogs and uh, contracting movies like 13 Hours, etc. It gives the impression that contractors are often like super high speed doing like you know assassination missions and stuff like that but i think there's a lot to be said about the fact that the majority of a war effort is especially since gwat since 2001 has been like leaning on people like eric prince providing pretty um like quote unquote mundane comparatively um you have manpower and stuff and it still seems like you get paid a lot i mean mind if i ask how much were you paid for a contract like that yeah so i was i was essentially at like the entry level position for contracting um it was it was it was the type of job where you know guys who weren't rangers guys who weren't special forces were 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 doing to to pad their resume uh get a year of high threat time which was just you know living in afghanistan or iraq uh all with the goal of getting bigger and better jobs but even that i was getting 210 dollars every day six days a week holy shit and and the nice thing about contracting is 
if you work for 330 days outside of the United States for for a single fiscal year, you don't pay mm-hmm. federal income tax. Holy shit. Man, so. that's clutch. Holy shit. That's a lot of money. And from my understanding, they provide you with food and stuff, right? Yes. And and obviously, you know, for, for guys in the military, you know, they'll understand this. You know, it's so easy to burn money on, like, food and stupid shit and yada, yada, yada. And uh, thankfully, I've always kind of been good with money just by not spending it. And, yeah, you know, the, the, the DFAC is there. That's a free meal that's pretty damn good four times a day because they got midnight chow. <laughs> Uh, you're living in these tiny little huts. I was living in a picture like a big concrete cylinder, cut it in half, and then put that half just on the ground. And that's the type of building I was living in. And there were there was plywood rooms inside it. And, you know, you're living essentially in a closet, so you can't buy a lot of shit. You know, never mind the fact that you have to ship it out. So it was very easy for people to just save all of their money. And, uh, like I said before, that's the lowest end of the spectrum. There's contracts where, uh, like I know, WIPS, Worldwide Protective Services, which is uh, through the, the State Department. Those guys average out at like 500 a day. If you're a medic, if you're a designated marksman, if you're an interpreter, you can get like 650 to $700 a day. And there's, there's even other shit... Um, through the State Department, and when I say State Department, it's just the CIA. That's, <laughs> that's, that's it's, there's there's another program I forget. One of our guys got tapped for where, uh, and this is probably the closest it comes to the movies, where like you're a guard in a safe house, and they and they pick you based off of your demographics. Like they're not going to send like the six foot two white guy to be like a, a guard for a safe house in like Ethiopia and right. one of one of our friends got slighted for that and that was starting at like 800 a day damn holy shit and I mean it sounds like you know it's very variable and depends on who you work for and it sounds like you're a subcontracted under the army is that right yes so so for my contract I was I was employed, I was contracted by my contracting company. And my contracting company then turned around and offered our, the Guard Forces, services to the Army. Because my contract was not under State Department, my contract was under JSOC in, in, huh. in the Army. And, uh, and, and, and it, like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's, it oh, sounds it sounds like everyone has their their you know contractors, whether it's the CIA or the military forces themselves, or I, hell, I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised if the Department of Agriculture has contractors at this point. You know? Yeah, absolutely. You because know, contractors kind of a fuck. It's it's a catch-all term. You know you you know you can be a contractor, but you work as a fucking uh, food service guy. You know, and that that's something that, that the company Garter World does quite a bit. And uh, like you know, we, we had contractors from, from India that that came over and their entire job is clean up the base. Clean up the little base that we're on. They go around to all the fucking latrines, they clean those. You know, they they go to common areas, they clean those, and those guys make good fucking money. So yeah, so everyone everyone has their fucking contractors because they need someone to do a job that they don't that they can't afford to have like a uniformed member of the DOD do. So my job specifically was hey, you know, listen, you could be on six JSOC bases, which is Joint Special Operations Command, and your job is you're literally just a security guard. You man the towers, you man the gates and you escort the other contractors around post when they're on, then you escort them off. All because the only people that they could pass that job off to if they didn't have any other units around 
were like rangers because we had rangers and navy seals and green berets living on this base and obviously you know if your rangers are going out every night or two on missions which is what they were doing it makes little sense to like have to carve off a huge chunk of that just to like check badges at the front gate which is how we were able to get our job because they needed so many people to check badges and do that shit so i got to hang out with my buddies 12 hours a day six or seven days a week and just check badges for special forces command wow that's interesting and do you mind if you take us through like a a regular day like just a regular fucking average joe j of, of of contracting where you're at sure absolutely uh, I'll, I'll give you the uh i'll give you the nitty gritty um my shifts were from two in the afternoon to two at night, which was huge. The other shift is fucking miserable because you got to get up at two in the morning every time. And uh, you wake up and there's there's little to no privacy in your in 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 the huts that we lived in because there's no roofs on your little tiny rooms. So you know you hear dudes farting, you hear dudes fucking swearing, you hear dudes fucking beating off, which I was never a fucking fan of. Uh, get up around one I'd get up around like 150 you know I'd, I'd get up 150 throw my shit on which was uh, boots, pants, top uh, vest and uh, backpack with like you know snacks and shit because you couldn't have any electronics on post at all and uh, I'd stumble out the door uh, get to guard mount at like 153 because you live right next we live right next to our guard hut and uh, and and guard mount was essentially like all the guards get together for your shift you get a brief on like what's going on and you you get your weapons uh, guard mount was always super fucking quick because uh, our, our our shift manager be like hey nothing crazy. And then we'd line up, get our weapons, or you know, it would take a little bit longer if uh, if something was on the radar. But most of the time, we get told, "Hey, nothing crazy." File in, get our weapons, get our six magazines, and uh, and guys would go crazy like buying these high-speed plate carriers and these fucking battle belts and this, that, the other thing. But you know, when you're a contractor, legally, you are not allowed to perform the role of the infantry. So, you can fight to defend what you have to defend, but you can't attack. You can't take things. So, like, we always got told, like, you know, if something crazy happens and they take a building, you know, like, the enemy scales over the walls and takes a building, our whole job is to contain them before, like, you can, the, the army sends dudes to take it. So I just had a cheapo plate carrier with no belt because I'm not going to be kicking in doors, so there's no reason for me to fucking have all this expensive gear. So load my shit up, uh, get where I'm going to be, because uh, there's a couple places you can be. There was front gate, which wasn't bad. That was, uh, you were checking badges at the front gate and operating the big metal pole across the road uh, so that vehicles can get in and out. Uh, escorts. Which was, which was meant because you just hung out at the front gate area and every time a, a outside contractor came in, like food delivery, latrine cleaning, uh, other shit, you just escort them around our little base. Uh, towers, which was two guys to a tower and they just sat in the towers uh, all day, which, which was a pretty good gig because those were always air conditioned and shit. But uh, what everyone wanted was ramps. Because ramps was what we called the the two two man positions that guarded the entrance to the special forces section of the airfield, and you're kind of off in the middle of nowhere. And you can see people coming from a little while's out, so you can just hang out there. But you get you get where you're working, and uh, you you head over there, or you catch a ride if you're going to ramps from your shift manager, and you just hang out for twelve hours straight. You know, there's, and, and there's, it sounds pretty like um, low pace. It, I mean, I guess you came in at the end of uh, the intervention in Afghanistan. 
from what it sounds like, right? Yes. Yep. And so it, from, I guess, what I heard from my friends that were stationed like in similar places as you were, um, they're saying that there's really not much going on in a foreshadowing of events that happened. They're Afghanizing the uh, war effort, right? Which was we, we saw how that ended up for Vietnam with the Vietnamization of the war, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of like mm-hmm. the exact same things happened with the withdrawal uh, from Kabul as the one withdrawal from Saigon. But I get ahead of myself. In any case, uh, you know, I guess we wanted your experience as far as like, do you feel as though the contracting world is only increasing or decreasing? Do you think that the global war on terror is the end of things or do you think things are just speeding up? So uh, I think that that contracting will only ever increase in, in size and scope for, for future conflicts. But, you know, it's so directly correlated to America's war effort that the, the, the job pool rises and shrinks as America is in wars and as America is out of wars. You know, the, the reason why I'm not currently contracting, because the plan was do that small security job, get a year of high threat time, get experience, and then go on to the program that I described previously, which was WIPs, Worldwide Protective Services. But when the war was drawing down, obviously, you know, there's not as many American DOD and government personnel, which doesn't require as many contractors. So, personally, that's why I kind of got forced out from contracting. But I think that as everything continues, we're only going to see uh, more and more parts of a war effort carved off to private security and private contracting just because just because the American military is going to be hyper-focused on, on fighting the war. So if it can lessen the load on itself by hiring outside people, it will. And when stuff like that happens again, the contracting jobs, you know, you won't be able to swing a dead cat without hitting about 13 or 14 of them. <laughs> Dude, I, I mean, it's uh, it's incredible to hear because obviously you hear stuff from Ukraine and the contractors that are working um, under the auspices of the Ukrainian government in the uh, foreign region. Um, I remember reading, especially this article of these ex-French foreign legionnaires who were contracted by the, uh, I think it was the Omani government, who were officially, like, uh, you know, uh, conscripted into the military, their local military, so they technically weren't mercenaries. However, they were they were mercenaries, entire units of them, like Colombians, etc., and being uh, used as, like, kill teams in, in Yemen. Now, like, I don't know how much you've heard personally about the experiences of people, like, in Ukraine, but, uh, I mean, I wanted your opinion on, like, Wagner Group and, like, um, the way that they're kind of transitioning contractors into an offensive role. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's essentially a world of difference between contracting for the American government and contracting almost anywhere else. Um, you know, America is is hyper fixated on not even allowing the perception that that they are hiring mercenaries. You know, you know, you can you can you could be hired on to do all sorts of things, but you are not allowed to fight, which is you know, for, for the people that are familiar with the 13 hours story, that's why there was such a delay in letting those guys go because you cannot send contractors to fight or, or you know, retake buildings or, or, or objectives or shit like that. And then compared with the Wagner Group, which is which is practically part of the Russian government at this point, but that is quite specifically stood up to be its own private military that that they can kind of plug in and plug out of areas either on their own or with the support of the Russian military and they're allowed to go fight they're allowed to go take objectives do what they need to do patrol 
you know they did that a bunch in in Syria and uh, so it, it, it largely it largely depends on where you're contracting and I know one of the rumors that always floated around when when we would, would, would talk about doing that sort of stuff is uh we were always told that that the American government is very quick to remove citizenship from guys that actually went and joined essentially foreign mercenary groups because they they did not like the perception of Americans going and fighting for for money. Now whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But that that was always something that that we were aware of as a possibility of happening if you know, if you wanted to go join like Wagner you know, because they put out an advertisement not too long ago. It's, it's like ten thousand dollars a month for Americans and, and Englishmen that fight on Wagner's side. You know, which is really good money if you could get fucking paid <laughs> paid what you're owed. But you know, then you have to deal with you know how is America going to look at you when you come back with like forty thousand dollars because you fought on the side of the Russians for four months in Ukraine. You know. Yeah, I'm sure that the FBI would be all inside of her butt. So, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, you know, you read about Eric Prince, right? And, like, you know, it seems almost as though America would be the premier contracting force of the world, you know, in an offensive capacity. And what for whatever reason, it's holding it back. Now, I think that, I mean, this is my personal perception here. I feel like the increasing military tensions between us and this like emerging block of an alliance between Iran, Russia, and uh, PRC uh, is basically going to cause this rupture between you know 1990s like uh, Carter America peace blah 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 bullshit and this new America which is uh, increasingly becoming more imperialistic and like foreign to its like actual citizenry right its citizen body. And basically, it's going to have to rely on foreign recruits into the military, but also mercenaries to actually do the the dirty work for the like you know the U.S. government. So, I mean, as far as like my experience is concerned, like I have known people that uh, have gotten out, and uh, they've just um, how do you say? Like, there's a lot of qualified people that don't want to go into contracting. Uh, because there's too much, too many unknowns, and they don't know if, like, for instance, like you know, you read or hear about guys that get whacked and they get no money for their contract. You know what I mean? And uh, it's like, you know, you wonder what what kind of security there is on the back end. Is there? Do they take care of you? What's what's the deal on that? So, so a lot of that is is from what we were able to see and from what I was able to see. It, it was the the inherent risk of like starting up like brand new security companies you know because I went like I said with medium to large but it's probably at this point one of the largest contracting groups and that was that was very official you know you had health benefits you had dental vision you know this that the other thing you know taxes all sorts of shit you know just a proper company but, you know, all, all like the, the, the horror stories of, you know, dudes being left out in the rain, dudes being, you know, showing up at a place and there's no job. All of that seemed to come from new contracting companies that, that, that got stood up with, you know, X amount of startup money and, and trying to hustle and make stuff work and it all falls through. You know, because I, I, I did a little bit of contracting after, after Afghanistan, nothing nothing crazy um in that and in inside the united states that's where that scene is is very big you know everyone's got a buddy that's oh you know we're starting up a company we got this 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 and this uh and and everyone's just trying to get as much talent as they can so that way they can bid for bigger and better contracts and you know yeah you have 12 guys starting out good to go all set and then like one dude gets an offer the other guy has a fucking kid you know two dudes just drop off the face of the earth and like the fifth guy's like actually addicted to like meth and no one knew it so it's <laughs> it's it's 100 percent a risk for like you know the, the smaller companies and it's yeah. it's very easy for guys and i saw this personally where 
they they just spend the money that they make hand over fist. You yeah. know, because it's it's a it's a it's a fifteen hundred dollar rifle that's only like seven, eight days of work and they have the mentality of oh, I'm just working for this rifle. Then like they get they spend the money, they get the rifle, they can't even fucking use it 'cause it's it's wherever they bought it and they gotta get it to their FFL and you know, they're doing they're somewhere else entirely and it's like, Oh well, you know, I I really want a new phone, so that's like only like four days of work and then at the end of the contract excuse me, at the end of the contract, you don't have any fucking money. So so that's where a lot of that, like, you know, desperation comes from, from guys that just are not good financially at all. And they're always, like, chasing the, the, the newest job or the latest rumor and that sort of stuff. Interesting. It's such an interesting, like, ecosystem because it's definitely a substrate of the military culture that you don't hear about a lot, about guys that, like, are, as you say, chasing, you know, the, the rumor mill because there's no really official forum, like... I mean, I guess you could, you know, I've like looked at Triple Canopy myself. I've looked at like a bunch of different places and it seems like, yeah, they list um, job opportunities out front. However, it seems like you need a friend or like a reference to get you halfway through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is definitely what what everyone everyone seems to think. But. You know, unless I'm, I'm walking proof that, you know, if you just have a, a decent resume, which was only ever three years in the infantry, no deployments with an honorable discharge, back then, there were enough jobs to where you can kind of, like, work your way in. And, oh. uh, and, and, that, and that kind of leads, leads, it, leads myself to, to the other point, which was, I keep mind, all this, I have no idea anymore. Uh, I feel like you know this the path that I'm about to describe isn't isn't really available just cuz mm-hmm. you know there's no war anymore but right. you know it it was it was very common to get guys on that specific security job that I had because we were just trying to build our resumes even more mm-hmm. you know being able to to say listen I I spent 13 months on a on a uh I think it was like triple SA. I'm not sure. I'm on a triple SA contract for for JSOC. I have letters of recommendation for my for my shift lead and my and my site lead. And then being able to get onto stuff like whips, which 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 was the big catch all for everything. And uh, and and contracts change hands. Unfortunately, so you know, you could wind up working for like three different contracting companies, even doing the same job. But you know, the the, the level the, the level at which you kind of like needed a friend, that was a lot higher than than the shit that that I was on. Like, you might need a friend to walk on to like, you know, an, an NSA security detail, or you're working for like the State Department with whips, but. For the yeah. shit that I did, it was very easy. Just apply and do as you're told. And it seems like it ebbs and flows like the market, right? So, like, at a certain point, they can't get enough of you guys. And at another point, like, you have to be, like, the the cat's pajamas to fucking do anything, right? Yes. And, and, that, and that was even reflected in, like, in, like, rates of compensation. And, uh, and, and, and talking with, with other guys that, that were a lot further along and contracting with me. I didn't realize this, but apparently when you, you get to a certain level and, uh, and like the gear that they issue you now becomes something that, that guys seriously consider when they're going to take a job. Like Arcteryx is this very high-end company that makes outdoor clothing. And they have a whole suite of clothing that's like military and law enforcement only. But if you really wanted to get people to sign on to your contract, you issue them Arcteryx uniforms. So that's like you get like two or three Arcteryx uniforms like with like one or two jackets. And that would be like a serious bonus or like a serious good thing that guys would consider with, you know, on joining up on your contract. You know, per diem was also a huge thing that that could be upped to get guys to join your contract. But, you know, like everything else, when there's a lot of jobs, not a lot of people, you got to scramble to 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 recruit. But I joined when there were not a lot of jobs, a whole lot and a decent amount of people. 
And as I stayed in, the amount of people was going up and the amount of jobs was fucking nosediving. So... <laughs> as it happens, as it happens. And so, I guess just as a, a couple of qu- final questions for you, I wanted your, I guess, military opinion on the things that are happening in Ukraine as far as it like revolves around innovations and and kind of like just the infantryman's perception of the evolution of warfare as it stands conventionally now. Yeah, um, uh, I think I think you can learn a, go- a lot of good lessons from Ukraine, and I think it's actually like a place to learn some really dog shit lessons. Um, as always, artillery appears to be king. You know, our artillery just it can shut shit down immediately. You know, uh, drones are, are becoming an incredibly prolific. And uh, as far as I can tell, aside from kamikaze drones, it's all just regular drones off the shelves with a little bit of modifications. You know, that that that's going to lead to even more, you know, disbursement within individual formations because, you know, why would you have a, a foxhole with five guys in it that, you know, a drone with a fucking grenade could take out when you could have a foxhole with two guys? And uh, but I think the individual like infantry skills in the Ukrainians and the Russians leave a fuck ton to be desired. You know, le- you know, watching watching videos, it literally just seems like a lot of these dudes are flying by like the seat of their fucking pants. Yeah, you know? I, I so I, I actually kind of I was seeing that myself as you know. I love the. I mean, my background is infantry myself, and like you know, I see, you, you can kind of see the the patrolling, their habits, like like small things that most people kind of don't pick up on. Like for instance, just doing it like a three sixty spin at the end of a patrol, like seeing a guy like look back, make sure or whatever, like small things. Like it's like they're not doing it, and it seems like the Russians are probably the most um, lackluster in this. Uh, perspective it seems like they're just uh putting you know dudes that are just dudes with rifles and our uniform on and like be like okay you know vlad go in that direction and like suss out the enemy positions so that way the professional artillery corps can just annihilate them that seems like what infantry has been is is in their eyes is just basically fodder and affixing uh positional battle yes and uh, and 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 on the other side, you know, I watched the video uh, the other day uh, here on here on the 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 the, the app that we're using, where a uh, very brave dude, dude, a Ukrainian guy, hopped out of the fucking trenches, was just walking along the tree line, a little bit in the tree line, uh, got up to like two dudes that were like, you know, firing a machine gun further down the tree line, talked to them a little bit, and kind of crawled slash walked up to this screaming you know ukrainian dude like 20 30 feet away from the tree line and you know tried to help him and he and that and you know that dude got shot and i'm sitting there i'm like like there's fucking no low crawling right he's on his own he doesn't have any fucking fire support or any sort of fire superiority there's no smoke grenades you know there's there's, there's nothing like that employed you know, you go, you watch on YouTube, you know, the, the, the guy that's that's blowing up on YouTube for posting all of his GoPro footage, right? Brave dude, right? I Listen, he's, you know, hanging out underneath the fucking bridge, you know, 600 meters away from the Russian line, you know, soaking up artillery. But, you know, there's, there's, there's little communication. No one really knows what's going on from an infantry perspective. And you go watch another video where he's doing some, some covert patrol and like, and like, Russian held area trying to figure out where everyone's at with four other dudes and they're hanging out in a field and you know they're they're running around in the village and it's it's almost like it's just two professional militaries with a bunch of random guys acting as infantry just like doing whatever the fuck they want (laughs) no I I noticed that too but I think it comes down I think it's a little bit unfair on both sides because there are significant logistical issues which like America is able to do fire superiority because we have a significant industrial base backing us up. So like smoke grenades, all these things that we think are trivial are really um, they have a huge back order of them. Right. So they're, they're dealing in a circumstance, in an environment where they don't have 
um, munitions and like all this kind of support equipment necessary to like do the the necessary, you know, TTPs, right? And um, basically, you know, I, I kind of don't fault them for that. But what I do fault them for is what I hear is this idea that a lot of foreigners go to the Ukraine to fight. And then they leave because um, the model under which the Ukrainians are fighting is like a Soviet model where um, the Soviets didn't allow much initiative on small unit leaders, um, like on even a company or a battalion level. And, uh, you know, that uh, there are like a lot of them are, uh, you know, basically meat puppeted from way up in uh, Moscow or Kiev, you know what I mean? And it seems like it's both ways and people are frustrated because they can't take the initiative and win the battle i mean did you see that yourself um yeah uh definitely you know i i am i am always seeing reinforcements of the belief that that the american military uh specifically can't speak so much for for the 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 western european countries where the the nco core that the that the american military has is is what makes or breaks winning winning engagements yep you know the the the, the russians you know claim to have instituted a nco program back in the early 2000s i think might have been a little bit earlier and all that was was uh you know their 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 four-year conscripts like the smart ones in the fourth year were given like a little bit extra training you know china recently had a recently I believe recently introduced, you know, the idea of like, you know, the, the NCL, you know, True. but, but we're, but we're seeing, you know, a bunch of, you know, engagements where either, you know, no one can do anything because you're, you're either attacking a fortified position or, you know, it's a fluid fight and no one really knows what's going on because it, it's a bunch of essentially small fire teams all fighting, on the same side but they either have mutual support or they don't and it's it's like it's like herding cats you know <laughs> when when you know for every time you know when we go out on training you know ncos are they they, they got the busiest job in the world ripping around yeah. checking security giving fire uh sectors of fire you know checking on fucking ammo checking on dudes you know and 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 making sure that you know that the fight goes well as well as can be you know, then you sit there and you watch a video of a bunch of Ukrainians just like all looking in one direction, or like a bunch of Russians like all fucking huddled up together in one tiny fucking foxhole. You know, and knowing that you know if that was like a scenario in the in, in you know in the U.S. Army, you know there'd be NCOs like kicking people's asses to get them to disperse or fucking grabbing dudes and throwing them into a 360 security fucking position. Yeah, and just to like back on this for the audience you know on this transmission like on previous ones i've explained how the russian model or the, the soviet model is is that in america there's the instant core which is uh deals with everyday tasks and stuff like that and discipline and the officer is just basically the person that gives the mission and that sources outside support now the repository of military knowledge in the west is dispersed right so if a fucking leader gets whacked guess what you know you have a sergeant staff sergeant or even gunnery sergeant or sergeant first class in the army uh taking control of that platoon and employing it gainfully so you have a dispersion of uh what do you call risk right but in the in in russia that's not the case so if you whack the lieutenant he is both the repository of discipline and the military intelligence behind the whole thing and everyone else is just like what the fuck's going on the, and and what happens is that these big officers get whacked right and then you have a whole platoon company battalion completely lost i don't know if you heard this but a whole bunch of Ger- uh, not german excuse me generals uh, in the russian army were whacked early on in the war of the counterattack for the ukrainian um, counterattack and I'm like, dude, that's why entire battalions are being captured or routed or destroyed, simply because of the fact that their leadership was paralyzed in this top-down, very like eggs in one basket approach to leadership. Yeah, I don't know if yeah. you saw that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that and that that goes to reinforce the point that that they don't have an active NCO corps. You know, Russian even Russian generals are so used to having to lead damn near if not in front 
because the the the, the transfer of, of intent, right? This is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it is so poor that they needed to keep their thumbs on all of their units with 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 which is with as little dwell time as possible. You know, which which works well, right? Up until you're fighting in the 21st century and you know and 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 people who can launch cruise missiles and drone strikes and guided artillery strikes can look at you know the little computer screen and the computer screen tells them, hey, I think there's a Russian command post in this location because I'm reading a bunch of radio transmissions that that are abnormal for, you know, for, for just a small unit. And and the Russians fucking paid for it. Sincerely, yeah, there's a lot of innovations going on. And um, I used to, once upon a time, work at the Marine Corps University. Um, but, like, you know, the there's a lot of innovations that are happening um, on the infantry side, which people are not taking into account due to like fourth generation warfare and like the increased um, capacities of EOAS. However, I'll, I'll go back and and just as a final note and just one last question. So Lance's Legion, this whole project, this whole ethos is about getting both veterans and individuals who have never been in the military to have a basic proficiency in military affairs, because that is the essence of what a citizen is, right? So to defend your rights, etc. Um, I wanted you, an infantryman's opinion, whether or not, um, you know, your average guy who's ever been in the military, never been in the military or whatever, uh, can learn the basic skills necessary to ensure that he has his rights. Absolutely. It is, it is, it is very easy to, to become uh, proficient in in how would you say this in, in basic societal defense, right? You know, a, a lot of the guy, a lot of the stuff in the military is 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 framed and trained in such a way because you need to be able to interact with other things, right? Doing live fires with artillery and bombardments, you know, watching officers incorporate, you know, attack helicopters and all this that the other thing it's all very complicated and very cool but it's also currently not needed for for the average person because it's outside of what they would have resource wise there there, there are so there are so many resources and 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 groups and videos and social media pages dedicated to being prepared that at this point if you have the ability to and you still do not, I feel like that should be a negative mark against you. You know, Amen. it takes it takes very little effort, energy, and resources to have, listen, get a, a cheapo AR-15, right? Have some ammo, have some magazines, have a way of carrying it, and, and most importantly to me in regards to being a prepared citizen, have a month of food and water on hand. You know, yep. the... the the, the ability for for something crazy like this polar vortex the fucking Canadians sent us, right? To just like have that beyond the horizon and go, you know what? I'm good. I, I can I can close and lock the door for thirty days and not have to worry about a thing. You know, and and, and we're seeing shit with, you know, sabotages of power stations and and all sorts of racial strife and, and, and political strife that, to me, it, if, if you're going to be a prepared citizen, if you're going to, you know, advocate for yourself forcefully if needed, you're going to do a world of good just by being able to remove yourself from from needing to have to go get food and water. You know, I only have like three days of food in the fridge. I don't have any water. You know, just being able to be prepared like that is 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 such a such an intrinsical part of being what I consider to be a good citizen, and and it's not nearly as sexy as like room clearing and shit like that. That I feel like that's where most people should start. Go get go get a month of food and water before you do anything crazy. I completely agree. And and just to cap off what he said, you know, a lot of guys don't understand the majority of military training is drill. And a lot of that drill, especially in the conventional military, uh, military in the Army, Marine Corps, etc., has to do with coordinating supporting elements. But if you're a citizen, 
like basically you're given the same equipment the Taliban was given. And look what the Taliban is now. They're successful. They won a war, right? And so all that you really need is basic infantry skills. And as you saw, the Taliban weren't really exceptionally good at it. They're just good at ambushing and patrolling in a way. Um, and then second of all, having the will to fight. Third of all, having a little bit of preparation and some of your boys with you. And I think that's really all it takes. But that's going too far ahead of ourselves. I hope I have not again. This is American Militant. This is General Lance. And this is Lance's Legion signing off. Thank you, brother. Thank you.